Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. Just as much as change is a constant, so too is resistance to change. Every generation, to some degree, fights against change. They like how things operated in their youth. That is what they see as their perfect combination of how things should be. This definitely applies to sports. And unfortunately, just about everything else in our world. A lot of the discord in our society comes down to many people being unwilling to change. They like the powerful seat they have, and change could disrupt that. In sports, it's often about nostalgia. Memories of going to the game with your dad and getting a hot dog versus sharing memes on social media. Two different experiences. I remember vividly how upset the generation before mine was about the wild card game being introduced in baseball. Like, they were genuinely mad. It's going to ruin the game. The wild card? Really? The game is so fragile that introducing more teams to the playoff structure can break it? Like, that's ridiculous. This resistance is nonsense in a lot of ways. Things change. The world changes. Demand changes. The fact you carry around a supercomputer in your back pocket capable of giving you real-time game results means you don't have to wait for headline news to give you updates on the sports topics of the day at the 10s and 50s of each hour. And that's how I existed through college, which sounds so ridiculous. And you surely don't have to wait for tomorrow's newspaper. Anyone that is resistant to these changes is stuck. Now, that said, I'm not always a social media maven. I like to watch a game instead of just highlights. I still like to read a well-crafted story. And every once in a while, when I'm feeling really nostalgic, I'll actually turn on SportsCenter and remember the olden days. Okay, that was a bit of a rocket shot at ESPN. Sorry, love you guys. But SportsCenter, not quite as valuable as it once was. Today's media and fans are changing. Their appetites, their interests, everything. Do you think league commissioners like Adam Silver can afford to sit back and think, man, I love the old days that fans acted in a particular way. That was great. Let's just go back to that. No, they are constantly evolving. That brings us to today's guest, Jack Settleman, CEO and creator of Snapback Sports. Jack hosted a panel right after mine at the recent Hashtag Sports Conference. And I was, I was feeling kind of like, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm a little bit mentally spent. It just was on for like a couple hours. But I got hooked by Jack right away. Jack was talking about new media, new fans, new levels of attraction. And I was hooked and I really wanted to learn more. Snapback Sports, their tagline is a new way to consume sports, and they do just that really well. Snapback is the largest sports Snapchat account in the world, totaling over 500 million views to date. And Jack and his team leverage other social channels, collaborations, memes, experiences, betting, fantasy. It's amazing. And it works. It's attracting a youthful fan base that is the future of our sports business. So let's learn a little something about fandom with Jack Settleman, CEO of Snapback Sports. Hey, Jack, what's happening today? Not much. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. I think you tap into a very unique audience that I'm always intrigued by. As somebody that's been in the content and sports media for a long time, I love the changing audience. So I'm glad that we can get into this conversation. 
start out with this. Um, when I was doing my research into you as I kind of prep for this conversation, you so often see everything about you with that first kind of adjective of he's 24 years old, he's 24 years old, he's 24 year old guy did this, that and whatever. And my first thought was it almost dismisses you a little bit. It makes it sound like you're a lucky guy who hit the lottery and just happened upon this scenario. But you put in the work. I mean, you got your you graduated from UT Austin in sports management. You interned at SportsLock, Hashtag Sports, Whistle Sports, Nike. You worked at the Action Network. I, I don't want anybody to dismiss you as somebody who just got lucky in this process. How important was it for you to build that foundation of sports and business knowledge so you could be successful in this entrepreneurial venture that you're going into? Yeah, great question. I turn 25 next week, so I feel like oh, good. I, I feel like the young the young boy in the industry is is quickly moving away, especially with all the TikTokers who are super successful at 18 years old now. But yeah. it's a it's a good question, and I think it was hyper important. And so one of the people that I looked at while I was at college was Gary V. And he talked mm-hmm. a lot about you know the freedom and working for yourself and all these different opportunities out there. But then as I kind of went along and and figured out what I wanted to do, I took a lot of advice from other people who said, you don't have to be, you know, an entrepreneur on day one. You can use the resources. You can use the learnings. You can use so much experience from a bunch of people who have been in the industry for a long time. And I think that's what I did over the past five years, whether it was in college with those internships um, or in my first couple of years working in the sports industry. It wasn't until January, so six months ago, that I went full time in this. So like you said, okay. you know, I, I love the, the overnight success. I think anyone who's successful in their own field knows like people always view it as that, um, except you've been working on this thing for over four years now. So that experience being a number two, being a number three and learning from a bunch of more experienced people was one thing I wanted to do before I went out and eventually um, was running my own thing. I think it's super impressive. I just want to make sure people understand that you put in the work. It's not just some, you know, catch a catch a star, you know, overnight success kind of thing. You've put in the work. And I think that's important to give everybody a little bit of grounding in this conversation. Um, it's funny. I was thinking of this uh, as I was kind of going through some stuff. I got into an argument on Twitter like four years ago with Mark Cuban because Mark Cuban was saying a sports management degree is a complete waste. There's only 90 professional sports teams. They only have about 300 employees each. And then, you know, you multiply that out and there's more sports management majors than there are actual jobs out there. And I was like, that's completely wrong. There's so many jobs in sports that have nothing to do with actually working for a team. There's so many more opportunities out there. And you've really exemplified that. You kind of carved out your own niche. When did you kind of figure out that this was a kind of path you wanted to head down? When did it strike you as like, I think I can do something here? That's an amazing question. And I love talking about this because when I was studying sports management at UT, a lot of our projects were with the minor league baseball team here and the minor league uh, basketball team in San Antonio. And I thought the only option was you got to go through that wretched move to the middle of the country and sell double A baseball tickets. And, you know, and, and, no disrespect Wretched to those people. might be strong, but yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to those people. And, and there certainly is a path. And if you want to work for a team or you want to get into the front office, that is absolutely a path. 
But for me, I kind of looked at it as that's not what I want to do. I don't love sales. I don't love selling to people in Missouri that I don't know. So what are other ways around this? And it was really just build this Rolodex of skills. And so I knew, you know, social media, Always, I feel like every year social media is like it's growing and it's evolving. But even back then, it was somewhat young. I mean, there wasn't even Instagram stories at that point. Like, imagine yeah. a world with no Instagram stories. I know, stories. crazy, right? <laughs> so, so I figured out very quickly that there were like these 16-year-olds who were running the world on these kick messengers and group me groups. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll dive into that and I'll learn and I'll figure out like these other ways to build skills within the business. And that was my first job at Action Network was in social media there. And really, ever since, I've been tied to social media. So getting ahead of the trends and learning those skills, I think the the sports industry is so ripe with different opportunities. Like you mentioned, it's not just the sales path into working for a team. There's marketing. Yep. There's, there's a, I mean, NFTs, right? Six months ago, that, was, that was not a thing. Now, if you go study an NFT, you can get hired by every single team because they don't know anything. You can be the thought leader yeah. in that subject. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy because I started in the industry and I, don't, I hate dating myself, but I started in the industry in 1996. Like I was working at a bro traditional broadcast network and we did highlights and we did news stories and like you could see it becoming irrelevant when I was doing it. Like we started to get to a point where it was like, we're not we're not incorporating social media enough. We're not doing these new things. And you could start to see it almost dying on the vine. And I started to think and I started to panic and was like, I got to pivot. I got to do something different now. And I think that's really interesting about Snapback is that you have really captured where the audience is now. What is it in your view as you kind of analyze where you're at right now and, and where you've gotten to? What is it that has made Snapback so relevant to, and to the needs of today's sports fan? Why, why do you think you're hitting the mark? Yes, that that comes from two things. One, studying yourself. What do you do on a daily basis? How do you consume the content, right? Like, are you on YouTube or are you watching Sports Center in the morning? Growing up as a kid, I would run that hour Saturday morning Sports Center, get all my highlights, and then I run it Hell back, yeah. right? And then yeah. I run it back. Hell yeah. But, yeah. but I haven't watched a sports center on Saturday morning to get highlights in five years. So what are you Neither doing as a person? And then second is, is unequivocally listening to the audience. And we call them the snapback family because, you know, social media was supposed to connect us. I wanted to be able to get LeBron to answer me because I could never do that unless I walked up to him. Now, right. all it really did was give a big platform to a lot of people who already had big platforms, right? It's just a new, bigger platform. But it yep. did bring up some new opportunities for people. And so I wanted to have people understand, like, I'm not a superstar. I'm not Stephen A. Smith. I'm not like I'm just a casual sports fan who kind of figured out social media, loves sports and will debate back with you. And because I have a big following, people think it's, you know, a little more special, but also listening like, hey, why didn't you post that Cubs highlight? Well, OK, I'll go find it. Like, I'll go commentate kind of on what I thought about that. So. Yeah always be listening to the audience they'll keep you a step ahead of what's about to come i think that's great because that that connection you use the word community and and i think that's really important to have that kind of honest dialogue that honest conversation with each other and to, to really listen and act on what they're saying they're giving you the hints they're telling you what they want right so listen to it yeah. react to it use it um i i was 
really interested in looking at the way you categorize snapback as you have you know you have memes you have highlights you have experiences and i think that's great that you really know where you fit and what you do and i was thinking about it like man when you're first starting out on something like this I love, as a content guy, I love the behind the scenes. I love the unexpected views of what's happening at a game, kind of that holistic approach to an event, which you guys are really encapsulating. When you're first starting out, though, I mean, money's tight. It's hard to get some of these things. Was there ever a point where it felt like, I mean, before you had a million followers, before you had this brand behind it, was there ever a point where it was like, man, I can't wait till the revenue catches up with my ideas? Because it's not cheap to go around to games and try to be in the moment was that ever a difficult part good question it was a unique situation and i luckily started while i was a senior at ut so we had season tickets to the football and the basketball teams for very cheap and then i would kind of just leverage my connections or friendships you know we were only three hours from houston so i had a bunch of houston friends who had astros tickets or texans tickets spurs were close so i had that Um, And then uh, my family business is actually beer distribution and we sell to the Ravens. So once again, like kind of just, you know, squeaking your way into those spots. So that kind of carried it. Yeah, those that carried it for a little. And then the year while I was at Action Network, I was working live sports hours. So I actually didn't get out to a ton of events. And that's kind of where, you know, you didn't see a lot of experiences. And then I went and worked at Whistle Sports and they kind of helped me and they said, "Okay, we want you on the grounds here covering that unique content. And I think one of the things, you know, you've been in sports for 25 years now and I grew up going to sporting events. I didn't realize this till I listened to the community. I would bet over 50% of my audience has never been to a sporting event, right? So that's crazy to me because I literally grew up going to games and I love going to games. But I didn't realize even at the time that when I'm showcasing a stadium or behind the scenes or the, the food at the stadium or meeting up with fans who are going for the first time, like they've actually never seen that stuff before. And that's the really cool content. They can see the highlights from the game, you know, on TV or on Twitter. But that's really the content that is is hitting close to home for them. I think that's amazing. And I, and I do love that stuff. I was at a, a pitch meeting one time with a sports network and I started to sell them so hard on like just do all behind the scenes stuff like everybody can share highlights. Everybody can share that's like public view public knowledge your distinct advantage is that behind the scenes stuff because i think that's what people like is to see the human side of the athletes for sure um there's a lot of pressure in social media to constantly be creating how hard is that because if you if for me it's like you come up with a great idea and you push it out there and it has a success moment and you're immediately on to the next thing there's always this need for more there's more appetite there's more demand uh, does this come naturally to you? Or are you naturally coming up with these ideas and banging them out? Or is there ever stress points where you're like, this is hard to keep up with? That's a good question. There's levels to it, I would say, right? There's the type of content that you can kind of create on a day-to-day basis that is kind of just like, it's not taking deep thought. It's just taking simple work, you know, getting it out to the page. Or if you go on the podcast, like 
we're not our pod isn't doing deep research. It's really just reflectionary on game three of the NBA finals, right? So yeah. we plan it out, but it's not anything that's crazy to think about. But then there's like our new snap show, which is evergreen content that we really have to structure and produce it and think really hard about. So it's like getting to those mental activations. So you have some content that probably best off for the afternoon when it's not as intensive. But in the morning when you're most creative, like build that stuff and do it. But I think there's a skill to it, but I also think there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of research that goes into it. Uh, but yeah, you have to be constantly, constantly creating, constantly recording. It can, it can definitely become overwhelming. What's your approach? I had a guest recently who said you need to be failing. Like you got to try things. You got to stick your neck out there. And if you fail, that's a good way to grow and to learn, which I totally embody and agree with. And I'm, I'm guessing you probably do, too. How much do you guys just explore with trial and error? Let's try something. Let's see what happens when we do it. Or is there more planning that goes into it than most people might realize? Ton of ton of failures, ton of trial and error, like you mentioned. I'd say less with the content and more so with the platforms that we want to play on and figuring out, okay, does the audience have a need for this, which is a chat about the podcast? Does the audience have a need for this, which is TikTok content? I think not only is it overwhelming to think about creating content day by day, but to think about pushing it to every platform. And that's where, you know, going back, that's probably the best decision we made. We just worked on Snap for a year straight. Did not push to my personal page, did not push to Twitter, did not push to TikTok, did not push to YouTube, none of it. For a year, it was strictly Snapchat because we knew that it would be, that would have the big, or we didn't know, but, you know, it turned out that would have the biggest payoff. And then you can kind of go from there. So a lot of new content creators, they come in with no followers across any platform, and they're like trying to get a cut for Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. They look similar when really they should probably look a little different, be formatted different, use captions, use different music on platform. You know, so that's where it becomes overwhelming, less so the content creation. And so my recommendation is always like pick a platform that makes sense for what you want to accomplish. I wanted to showcase live sports and talk with the community and I thought that vertical story like feature made a lot of sense on snap little did we know that every platform would then go and copy it (laughs) well I want to dig into that a little bit more too later on just your choices behind snap and how you feel about its future as well but I I want to circle back for a second Um, I feel like for me if I look back over my career I feel like it took me 10 years maybe to find my voice, to really know how I wanted to communicate, to find my comfort zone, um, just really be confident enough in my, my point of view and my way in approaching things. And some of that may have been deprogramming my you know, college experience or my early journalism career because there's a structure in place that you just get really foundationally built into you. How did you get to this place? Because I'm very curious about this, this confidence spot where you're able to say, I'm gonna do things a little bit differently feel pretty good that it's going to work like that's impressive that's impressive to really lean in as hard as you have and go at it with full confidence I think you just have to be yourself and one of the biggest things that's instilled in the page you see a sports center account a bleach report account they're big media companies and they're posting the news and the highlights our account every single person following knows I'm a Ravens fan they know I went to Texas they know I'm a Knicks fan We'll talk about why all those reasons maybe later. But, 
but they know it's a diverse and I group think, of, of yeah, fandom it right is. There, well yeah. I went to UT I grew up in Maryland and then I moved to New York didn't have a basketball team got season tickets like, that's kind of the explanation there yeah. but they know that those are my teams and that's so natural to being a sports fan everyone in sports is from a biased lens and then ESPN and SportsCenter and Bleacher they try not to be and I don't actually know if that's what fans want. Like, they want biases. That's why they watch the first takes. That's why they, you know, yeah. all these things. Pat McAfee is blowing up. And, like, his love for the Colts and all those indie teams, like, people, they ride on that. So I think being yourself and just being completely organic has really taken it uh, for a nice ride. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there's so many things I could throw out there as far as my, you know, early training of like no cheering in the press box. You know, don't don't ever show your loyalties. Just really have take yourself out of any story. And it's like that whole world is turned upside down, which I kind of love. I actually I really love. It's no kind of about it. But I want to I want to go again deeper. We use this word authentic all the time. It's so hammered down now. We talk about authentic branding. We talk about chasing authenticity. Um, Authenticity this, authenticity that. I get it. It's right. But what does that mean to you as far as being authentic? Because you just hear people say it to the point that it gets diluted a lot. When you approach your content and your strategy and your planning or whatever you're doing in the moment, how do you like level and ground yourself in this concept of authenticity? What does that mean to you? Well, it's a great question, especially given the last year where politics were very confrontational. Um, A lot of stuff. I mean, there's always a lot of stuff going on, but it felt like the last year was super important. And I kind of took the stance of my beliefs. So, you know, I wanted to support the African-American community through BLM. I wanted to support not necessarily trying to speak on politics, but my belief through the whole thing was I just want like people to be nice again and to be friendly again Um, and so I kind of put my personal beliefs into the page a little now I'm not saying on a sports page you need to be voting for this person but I think you know it is framed in a a certain way and we lost followers because of that without a doubt and I was okay with that and I think I'm from a fortunate position like I had followers so it's easier said than when you're trying to grow but I understood, like, if those people, they don't have to agree with me, but if they're cursing at me and telling Mm -hmm. me I'm an idiot and doing stuff that I just don't think is beneficial to the page, to the account, to the business, then I'm okay with them walking away. So I think that's being authentic. And then the second level to it, which has always been since day one, is, is the authentic brand partnerships because we see probably a thousand ads a day that we don't even recognize. Yep. But the human is getting so good at diagnosing them. TikTok, if you go on TikTok, they're starting to stick ads in between all those videos. Your swipe through rate on those is probably 10 times higher than the true for you content they're offering to you, which is insane because you get a 10th of a second and your mind is picking up on that. So any partnership that we try and pull off I have to be a user of the product. I have to actually believe in the product. We try and take equity in a lot of the opportunities that we can because I think that shows like, hey, we're not using you as an ad platform. We're using you because this is actually, we're offering you something good and here's the one we've chosen to go with. So that's always been something we've done since day one and then giveaways too is being authentic. Like I mentioned, if half the audience has never been to a game, then I want to send people to a game. 
I want to get them out to the stadium. So when when brands come to us and they're willing to send people, I mean, we're sending someone to Game Four of the NBA Finals tonight, which is nice. you know super cool. And yeah. so I think when they see that that's genuine giving back to the community, that's another level of authenticity. Totally agree. I think that's really cool. Um, let's play this out for a little bit. I think I don't watch ESPN nearly as much as I used to. I used to watch it constantly. We both referenced that earlier. Fox Sports, I worked at Fox Sports. I don't watch it nearly as much anymore. Um, it just don't. I, I don't read as many long-form articles as I used to. Yeah. I used to read Sports Illustrated from cover to cover. I don't do that anymore. I've changed as a fan as well. If you were somebody from ESPN calls you up and says, what do we need to do different? What do we, how, do we, how do we engage with this fan base still on broadcast TV that's who we are like yeah they could they can do other social media things but like how do we make our TV product more interesting what kind of advice would you give what, what would you share so I'll, I'll be honest in admitting that you know given like what ESPN's audience is first where I think we're heading you know they probably do have data to say the traditional 50 year old man does watch this show at this time so I think sometimes like what I see in a lot of my content could differ from the traditional television but one thing I would ditch the suits I don't know a single sports fan who wears a suit and goes to a sporting event or talks with their friends and gets in a heated debate while they're in a suit and tie. They wear jerseys. They wear T-shirts. They wear shorts. Great point. So I would would ditch the suits. I would get younger, and I would start hiring the heck out of the young talent in the game right now. Uh, We we grew up on SVP, obviously, but Stuart Scott and all these amazing names. And it seems like they kind of have picked the general broadcaster over like the really, really talented ones. Um, but I would get ahead of it and start hiring up these young guys. They did great with Omar. I think Omar's got a great pulse on it. I don't know if he's particularly going to be on TV for them. But I would find you know the, the best YouTubers in the world that TNT mm-hmm. found um, and that really connect with the audience, have those pre-existing audiences because they can actually drive to the television. You see a familiar face. Reggie Miller, you know, he's a legend of the game. Yeah. But should he is he the most talented in the game? I don't know. It's just that's how it used to work. He's a superstar player. He kind of shifts to that realm. So I would get younger, obviously, continue to build on social as they're doing. But be conscious and, and actually listen to what the sports fan is. What the sports fan is is the most important. You have a really targeted audience. You can really define who you are speaking to. I would imagine you have a lot of brands coming to you, a lot of people who want to partner with you, which is a great position to be in. I'm envious, right? I think that's fantastic. Um, how hard is that? I mean, you talked about authentic partnerships, and I love that. I, and, I, and I love the fact that you're talking about embedding with these brands, actually using them, actually having them a part of your authentic communication. But how much do you have to actually turn down? How much do you actually say, like, nope? not the right match for us and are those hard conversations to have i don't think we're turning down anyone i mean unless we kind of are booked up in that field i think we're always open to it um and we love to hear from obviously a ton of brand sponsors on how they want to work together they have to think about our audience the way we do which is giving back to them and and really moving forward and we've had brand partners who they come in and they try and control the content right yeah and and that's a it's a double negative because we don't want to do that 
and it's not going to help them in the long haul. So I think that is more so like the most important first interaction is they understand our content. They want to let us create the content for the audience that we know will work and we need to integrate them in a natural way. So uh, it's not it's not a tough conversation. I think it's totally healthy to go and talk to partners and say, you know what, this just doesn't work for both sides. It's not going to perform well for you, and it's not going to be fun for us to do. Um, and we can kind of lead them to someone we, we think would be better. But uh, you can see in the background, like Puma, I wear Pumas all the time. Yeah. I love Puma. A bunch of the Knicks players wear Puma. So, yeah. you know, all these things, the little things just start to matter a lot when you really look into it. Yeah, for sure. And I love the authenticity. I know we use that word a lot, but like I can tell at this at, at this age and this is so long that I've been in the media, you can tell when an athletes talking about a brand they have no interest in. You yeah. can tell. It's and it's like, I'm not interested. But you can also tell when it's like really true to what they use, how they operate, what they like, they're passionate about it. Um, I just I just love those environments when it starts to get to feel real. And I'm I'm way more convinced by something like that. So stay true to that authenticity yeah. with your brand partners. I had Michelle Andres on the show recently, who's SVP of Ravens Media, so your team, Baltimore Ravens. And we talked about that difficulty as a team when you have to be multi-platform, right? You have to be on Twitter, Facebook, touching all these audience, grabbing fans from wherever they are. And I said, well, how do you determine you know, where to allocate your time, how much time, how do you kind of carve that up? And she, I didn't bring up Snap, but she did. And she said, you know, Snap's one of those ones we have to look at and wonder, does it have a future? So when you hear something like that, what does that make you think? I mean, you, you've obviously invested a lot in here. Obviously, you believe in the platform. But do you have any fears in that regard? Do you have any fears of not even just like a, a, an indictment on Snap, but like, oh, my gosh, if I put all my effort into Facebook and Facebook went away or there was some sort of government regulation that changed everything, I'm in trouble. Like, do you ever have to worry about that? What would you say to that kind of feedback from somebody like Michelle? Owning the audience is, is super important. And so while I stress that go all in on one platform, once you kind of have hit there, definitely start to spread across and start to build on those other platforms. Ownership of audience as a whole is super complicated. What's the best way to own it? Is it an email? Is it a phone number? We're on community text now, which I think is super, super interesting going forward. Yeah. But can you truly ever own your audience without those platforms that are centralized, which is a really good way for crypto and NFTs to kind of find their way that their whole concept is decentralization. So if Twitter goes away, if Instagram or Snap were to go away, if Snap were to go away tomorrow, there's no doubt it would be a very big loss. It would be a punch in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a very big loss. I think one of the benefits to it right now, and it's lasted for the past four years. I mean, people thought that Snap was going to die when Instagram added stories, and fortunately, yeah. it did not. So, yeah, that's that's an absolute game you are playing as you diversify, understanding that, you know, Vine went away and platforms have gone away over time and they've even lost interest over time. So I think always making sure if you do kind of get to that point where you've grown a nice size audience, capture your audience in unique ways, email, phone number across other socials. Yeah, for sure. Uh one trend we, you kind of referenced it earlier is uh, that's never gotten old in sports is debate. Uh, I mean, people have been debating in bars since the dawn of time. I mean, I swear. Uh, I'm personally a little tired of the way debate is done now because I think it's completely lost authenticity, and I think it tends to be 
somebody saying, all right, I'll argue whatever side you want. I just want to argue. And there's this societal parody like we talk about where everybody's kind of jumping into parties and everybody's just fighting all the time. Um, But you guys have done some debate stuff. You do some debate content. Where are we with this? Do you still find it an interesting way to carve up discussions or, or do you think debates had its day? That's a really good question. I mean, we started a show two weeks ago called Here to Argue. So I hope that... Uh, <laughs> Bad timing if it's over. <laughs> uh, yeah, if it's over, that's tough. But episode three is doing well, so I, I'm I hoping... I don't think it is. I think it's probably just me that's tired of it. Nobody else is. No, I think what we're really tired of is clickbait material. And yeah. it's like these, these big headlines. You know, one guy misses one shot and... You know, we're debating over his entire legacy. His purpose on earth now has to be debated. That's exactly what I hate. It's turned so negative rather than like, who's the best at X? It's why this person sucks. You know, it's like, it it drives me nuts. So we talk, I don't know if, are you a soccer fan at all? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're watching the obviously England, Italy, Euro final. It goes to PKs. And then we had the podcast like an hour later, our, our Sunday record for our Monday post. And I got on and I said, like, the whole thing on Twitter right now is about Southgate's mistakes, his decisions, yeah. the guy who missed. I'm like, since when did it become that, like, we can't acknowledge the Italy keeper just one player of the tournament and saved multiple penalty kicks? Like, yep. why, do, why do we immediately turn to it's someone's fault? And it really, it, that's probably the most disappointing thing about social media. I call Instagram comment section a cesspool. I call Twitter's reply oh gosh, section a cesspool. Like, it yep. really is, it's, it's ugly there. So you do have to understand that some people are literally just doing it for engagement and mm-hmm. to avoid those. And then you have to realize that, you know, there's a reason why there are only 30 NBA GMs because the guy on Twitter isn't going to make that those decisions <laughs> for your team. But it is stressful at times. Like, it really is. I mean, you want to talk about the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. This guy yeah. led the league in passing touchdowns in a unanimous MVP season. He's 30-7 and seven in his career. And, the, and still, to this day, he's a running back. He's a running back. He's a running back. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think people – there are funny jokes to be made. But the yeah. majority of it is just the same repetition. And it's the debate shows of, can Lamar get it done? Yep. No, this other guy can. It's like, that guy hasn't started a game in the league. So it, the debate content, if you can do it in a true regard, like Abe and I will get on the podcast, and something that could be a debate on first take in the morning, we agree on. And we're debating, you know, yeah. who is better and how how is this whatever. But the the negativity definitely has found its way into the fold of sports. And I don't think it's anyone's fault, per se. Right. And I'm not trying to say it's all sunshine and ponies and, like, everything's perfect. I mean, obviously, there's subjects that are meaty, that need debate, and that aren't always positive. I'm fine with that. But some of the contrived, I remember... It's probably five or six years ago now watching it might have been first take uh, or one of the debate shows. And it was Taj Boyd was graduating from Clemson. He was a quarterback at Clemson and he was beyond average. He never did anything in the NFL. And somebody was debating whether he would be a better pro than Tom Brady. And they were like, Tom Brady's done. Taj Boyd is the future. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, really? Come on. And it's just like it's so ridiculous. Some of these these topics that people choose to debate on. And then get all fired up about just for kind of virality. And it's like, it seems so forced to me. But anyway, I've gone too far down this, this <laughs> own personal soapbox. Okay, so the creator economy, 
different now than ever before. For the longest time, you know, those of us in the industry, there there wasn't an avenue for us to be individual creators. Like we would have to work for an organization that would create. And now, obviously, and not just now, like for the last 15 years, we're talking about everybody having an ability to create. And so the word was content is king. You know, go create, go do, go, go make your own thing and see what happens. I heard you say recently collaboration is king. Explain, because I like it. Collaboration, oh, where do I even begin? It's just, you've seen it at every level of social media. The Vine stars got big collaborating. The YouTube stars collaborated. The TikTokers, they all live in these big content houses. Now, can you at 42 move across the country to LA into a TikTok house? Uh, if you're listening to this, probably not. You're yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I encourage. I encourage you to do that. So, you know, what are the actual ways to collaborate? I think collaborating with the teams can be super fun if you can get to that point. Collaborating with other, everyone thinks that if someone listens to that person's content, they're not listening to mine. And I don't think that's true at all. I know it's not true. And so I think even if you get into the niche of it, right, if you're a Ravens content creator, you're not going to collab with another Ravens podcast because they're going to take views from you and you're going to take views from them. But no, you're actually going to be exposed to the perfect target audience. And there's plenty of content. That's the reason there's Fox, NBC, ABC, ESPN. That's why you have 900 channels. You have five social media apps. It's because all we do right now is consume content. So collaboration is key. And normally if you collaborate, once again, you do have to be authentic, right? You do have to take an interest in the other person. Your content does have to match. So there's ways to do it. But, you know, one of my favorite content creators is in the fantasy space, fantasy space, Pete Overzet. I do club top shot with him. He's collaborating with a chess instructor right now and he's learning how to play chess, but he's funny. So he's putting his comedic spin on it. And really on paper, it doesn't make sense. He's trying to gain fantasy followers, right? In the long run. But I'm sure there's plenty of people who are numbers driven that play chess that also like fantasy football. So it doesn't always have to be a direct tie either. But all I know is that's the best exposure, especially when you're trying to grow from scratch. And then you go look at the top levels. All the celebrities hang out with each other. They tag each other and everything. They're cross-posting because those are their friends, and you follow all their friends, and that's kind of the best exposure to that type of world. So collaboration, absolutely key. There's a million ways to do it, so don't be discouraged if the top YouTuber in the world won't do a video with you. Work your way up. uh, Be strategic in how you kind of do it. Do you have a favorite collaboration that you've done? Oh, my favorite collab my favorite collab I've done was House of Highlights invited me to the uh, knockout game. They're doing these series with influencers. I played a game of knockout for hundred grand. I don't take myself seriously, by the way, because that's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> of all time. I finished third, so I didn't win. But uh, you that's know, not bad. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that was bad was first place won all the money, <laughs> but yeah. but but it was a good. Oh, it wasn't tiered, yeah. yeah okay. But but nonetheless, yeah. you know, they kind of naturally put us into a collaboration of eight other influencers, and I just got to meet all those people where we could then go do stuff in the future. We went and played a game of basketball afterwards, and I was in some of their YouTube videos, and my audience is seeing that because, like I said, they're watching other people besides you, and so that was awesome. And then obviously the collaboration of snapback and house of highlights that's another major thing is that 
the big media brands, they don't let you collaborate. So their talent actually doesn't have an opportunity to grow because if you work for Fox and we're paying you a lot of money, you cannot go on ESPN. You're right, you're right? on our You card. are yeah, on channel. Fox. And with me, yeah. I'm like, I've worked with Whistle, I've worked with SportsCenter and ESPN, I've worked with House of Highlights. I love being exposed to new to, new audiences. That's the dream, right? That is yeah. the dream. That's where you're going to get new followers and new fans from. So that as a whole was perfect. It's such a healthy perspective, too. I mean, I know for my myself i mean i've always been wired in a very competitive way and i used to battle against mentally battle against collaboration in some ways it's like why would i want to boost somebody up? you know like blah 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 they're yeah. my comp- competition and it's like i've i've had to shift this in the last five years and say like no plenty of room in the pool you know like let's have some fun and create some good stuff and so i love to hear you say that that you're starting out with that kind of an attitude because you're right some of the best stuff that you see out there is when you know some band does a cover and you're like well it's a totally different riff on what they did and that's like a, a, a very organic collaboration in a way yeah. or like these these inter you know get, getting together like you said you and and house of highlights it's like you could look at them as competitors you can say like i don't want anything to do with that but you probably created some really cool stuff and introduced yourself to a new audience, which I think is just so healthy. Absolutely. I wish and, I had that attitude. I really do. I wish I had that <laughs> attitude at your age. And, and since we're talking about sports, um, I wrote down in my notes the other day, I think one of the things I've learned in my life is learn how to build super teams. So Kevin Durant joins Golden State Warriors, and everyone's like, his legacy is a snake, he's a loser. In sports, like there's this thing that you gotta kind of do it on your own. You gotta be loyal. You got right all that, which I I understand it. It's like passion. I think what Giannis did by staying in Milwaukee is very honorable. And so, however you want to feel, I know we're not gonna get into a debate, but however you want to no, feel, we can, we can. It's fine. You're, you're safe. However it's you want to feel about that, it is what it is. <laughs> Outside of playing on a court or a field, build the shit out of super teams. You don't yeah. have to limit yourself you don't have to be the superstar by yourself all the most successful people in the world they're all invested in each other's company they all work with each other they all share ideas build super teams and that's kind of the biggest advantage you could possibly have i love it it's a great attitude listen we'll finish up with this you've had given me so much of your time and i really appreciate it and i i'm enthused by this conversation i just think it's fun to have because i love the trend of where we're going i think it's so interesting and i think if you're not adapting and changing and keeping an eye on what's happening everything just passes you by right i mean i've been in the industry like we said for a long time but i'm very intrigued by all these new ways of delivering content all these new ways of connecting with an audience and i love the interchange and the, the engagement that comes from it but i'd love to have i mean you seem like a futurist in some ways, you know, like somebody that's always kind of looking a couple steps ahead. Sports content, fandom, everything is changing. Like we talked about five years ago, social media was totally different than it is now. Everything's, con- that's the one standard change, right? So you have your finger on the pulse. Where does it all go from here? Any ideas, any thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a broad question. No, no, but. no. I, I definitely have an answer for it. It's personality driven. So if you are a media company, go hire the best personalities, the ones who have shown an ability to grow an audience, the ones who you think are super talented. And by the way, if you think they are, they are very talented. Talent, you know, when it meets hard work, it rises to the top. And then it's, you know it when you see it, it, yeah. it's player centric. So you can see the guy behind me, Stephen Curry. My audience, way more Steph Curry fans than there are 
Golden State Warrior fans. It's why sports card okay. collecting is huge. It's why NBA Top Shot got huge. It's why you follow individuals on social media who have more followers than the teams themselves do, right? Mm-hmm. So I think player and personality-centric stuff is what's going to drive the future. Love it. Jack, awesome conversation. Thank you for lending so much interest and credibility to all of this. And I, I think you've shown again that you've put in the work, you've thought, you've been very intentional about all of your steps here. Uh, and it's and it's impressive to see the growth that you've had. So congratulations to all your success and thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it very, very much. I had a blast. This was great. I love talking about this stuff. It's so important because you never know who's that one person out there that could really just take two seconds of this podcast and you might have just changed their life forever. So appreciate you, Brian. Thanks to Jack for coming on the show. I always try to keep as open minded as I can as I learn new things. I think that's part of the excitement in life. I mean, I've told you guys all before that I've been in the industry for a long time, but I like to learn. I like to learn about new techniques and new ways of approaching things. And that's why I just try to keep giving Jack layup questions like, well, what would you do if you were in this situation? What would you do if you were leading ESPN? How would you change things? What does a new audience want? What is the younger generation looking for? And I think that's a important way to be for everybody is that you are still open to learning. You're not stuck in your own way of doing things. And I mean, there were things I learned out of that conversation that I want to put to work. So I hope that you feel the same way. Thank you so much for listening, being a part of our community. Please share, rate, review, tell more people about this podcast because the more we grow, the more I can attract fans like, I mean, guests like Jack. Jack's a great guest. And Ben Baskin last week and Scott O'Neill for the Sixers and, and Devils CEO and all these incredible guests we've had. Jennifer Keene, Joan Lynch, Callie Franklin, amazing, amazing guests in the industry that can change your perspective and help you learn and grow as we all try to make an impact in the sports industry. So thanks so much for being here. And thanks for listening.